Welcome to the Mary Shannon Bible Study with speaker, leader, and acclaimed Bible teacher, Mary Shannon. Every week, she'll dive deep into scripture using her unique blend of laugh-out-loud humor and hitting-you-between-the-eyes truth that we all need. So put on your big girl pants, because here we go. Are y'all glad to be back at Bible study? Me too, but it seems really weird because I'm not normally up on stage. I feel like I'm I'm fixing to speak at an Aspire event, and uh, I kind of want to put on a like a different show, start singing and dancing or whatever because I'm up on stage. But I am so thankful that CCV let us use their facility. That's amazing. Um, with all that's going on right now, uh, it's very difficult to get into city buildings to have community Bible study. And so, um, you know that CCV has uh, partnered with me, and they are um, so for what we do. And so, they were, like, quick to offer up a facility for us to use. And I know that you're going to miss your round tables because you have your people. But can I just tell you, uh, there are a lot of new people here today because... Uh, Opening up this facility has kind of opened up uh, people that did not realize that we were having Bible study, Um, and so now they are coming. They're a part of CCV, and they're coming to Bible study, so if you see someone sitting alone, and it's not because they're, you know, isolating or social distancing, uh, make sure you speak to them, please, and include them and welcome them to Bible study. If you've never been here, we are pretty serious about studying the Bible Um, And we are going to be looking at the book of John. So yes, I took myself out of the Old Testament, um, although I love the Old Testament. But uh, because you know why I think one of my best gifts is bringing uh, old narratives to life. And so I really enjoy that. But I don't know about you, but I needed the book of John. And so to be honest, it's just flat selfish. I needed to study the book of John because I needed to be convinced of the love of God. I don't know about you, that God, that Jesus is God, that he is in control, he is the creator of all things, and he just stinking loves me to pieces. Do you need to know that? I do. So that's what we're going to study. So who knows? Maybe I'll get a little fancy now that I'm at CCV. And maybe I'll start giving you some things that you can see behind me. I don't know. We'll see. Usually you don't get any of that fancy stuff here whatsoever. You have to take your own notes. You have to keep up. Um, Also remember that if you ever miss, right, all of these are recorded and they're on itsmaryshannon.com. Itsmaryshannon.com. All right? Another exciting thing that you're going to see being advertised, and I'd really like it if you would jump in, is that my Bible study is going to be released on October 20th. It is called, yeah, I'm excited. This Bible study like to have killed me. Can I just tell you? I mean, if you know my story, you know that this Bible study was written out of a lot of pain, and then it was completed, and then it was read in a lot of pain. And in this time, it's like, Lord, what's going on? I mean, in the middle of a pandemic, um, in the middle of losing my son, um, I write a Bible study that's called Lose Control, The Way to Find Your Soul. If that Bible study is not needed, I don't know what is. Um, And so I actually need to go back through it for myself. And I really think that this Bible study, it was written out of life change 
And I really believe it'll be life-changing for many people. And so I want to encourage you on October 20th to buy it. It's on Amazon. It's on Barnes & Noble. Um, I don't know if you know Kim Free, but she is uh, heading up this whole um, <laughs> deal to where she is determined to make me a best-selling author. Do you know what that means? It don't mean a whole lot. Can I just tell you? It doesn't mean what I thought it meant. Just let me tell you that. So literally, uh, on October 20th, if we can get everyone to buy that Bible study that day, that will send my numbers to the top of the bestseller list for the day. And once you do that, you can be labeled a best-selling author. And at that point, well, you can just put that on everything, and people are like, she's a best-selling author. She's written Lose Control, The Way to Find Your Soul. Hey, listen, whatever we have to do to get people to open the pages, that is what we're going to do. So listen, there is no greater time than October 20th. It's before all the holidays. You know that you know some people who need Jesus, all right? You know that you know some people who are looking around and life is out of control, and what do we do? So get online. I want you to set the alarms on your phone because you know you won't remember this when you walk out of here. And you set an alarm October 20th and buy, buy, buy. I don't ask a lot out of you guys. You know I don't. All right? So on that day, please purchase Lose Control, The Way to Find Your Soul. Now, enough advertising. I'm ready to get in because I want to actually finish today what I wrote. I, I want to complete it. So we're going to open up to the first chapter of John. Um, I'm just going to start by just giving you some info about this book, all right? The Gospel of John is believed to have been the last of the four Gospels written, meaning that the Gospel of John was written with the view already from the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Um, there are many key events in Jesus' life that John leaves out. Because Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they covered Jesus' ministry in the Galilee, while John focuses on what Jesus did in Jerusalem. All right? Matthew, he talks about the genealogy from uh, David all the way to Jesus. He is showing how Jesus fits into this. He is the Jewish Messiah that has been promised all along. All right? Mark he talks about Jesus being from Nazareth, that he is a servant. Luke talks about that he descended from Adam, or he is the perfect man. John, John's focus is that Jesus is God. That is his focus. And so you will see um, he has basically, he'll talk about six amazing miracles uh, that back up this claim, and he will also give us seven I am statements. If you were uh, at CCV and you saw that series, they discussed, uh, I think, four or five of the I am statements. At the end of the day, the entire book can be summed up in one verse, and we're going to look at it at the end today, and that is John chapter 20, verse 31. These things were written so that you may know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And by believing in him, you might have life in his name. Jesus is God. And that is what he's going to prove in the book of John. So are you ready to dig in? And you got your notes. Now you know how I roll. I give you lots of information. Because it's like trying to take a drink out of a fire hydrant. 
okay? And then we wrap it up in the end. So here we go. Lord, thank you so much for today. God, I pray that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit. I believe that you will give me the power that I don't innately have right now. And in my weakness, you will be strong. And Lord, I pray that today you will show us clearly you are the creator of all things. And at the end of the day, we can trust you. I love you in Jesus' name. Amen. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. In the beginning literally means before there was a beginning. When the beginning began, there was the word. That's how it should read. When the beginning began, there was the word. Dodds, a commentary says, we see a continuous history which runs out of an unmeasured past. We see a continuous history that runs out of an unmeasured past. It's the idea of before time, timelessness, eternity, he, the word, was uncreated. Let that sink in. So in the beginning, before the beginning began, there was the word. That is the Greek term that you've probably heard. It's logos, L-O-G-O-S. If you look it up in the Britannica, it literally means word, reason, plan. To the Greek, it was the divine reason implicit for some, the divine reason implicit in the cosmos. Do you know what implicit means? Implied. It means that you can understand it by looking at something else without it truly being expressed. All right, let that sink in. So it says that this logos is the divine reason implicit in the cosmos, ordering it and giving it form and meaning. The Greek philosophers saw the logos as the power that puts sense into the world, making the world orderly instead of chaotic. The logos was the power that set the world in perfect order and kept it going in perfect order. They saw the logos as the ultimate reason. Aristotle says, it was reason discourse or the argument. So what are they saying? The Greeks believe, listen, you can look at what is created. There has to be reason behind it. It makes sense. Something has given it order out of chaos and continues to give it order. There is a great argument for that. So by looking at this implicit reason that is built into the cosmos, they could see there was some kind of connection drawing humanity to some reason, some order. It was also a term, logos was also a term that was familiar to the Jew. For the Jew, it was literally the word of God. For example, ancient Hebrew editions of the Old Testament, they literally changed Exodus 19:17, which is Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. They changed it to Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet the word of God. They used it in a synonymous way. It is the word of God that spoke all things into existence. The word of God and God were almost synonymous. It was the word of God that created all things and communicated his will. It was the word of God that was connector between himself and humanity. 
Therefore, when you start John's chapter, his language is not just Christian, it is Jewish. This chapter is grounded in the Torah. I want you to see this. So from Genesis 1, this is what we hear. In the beginning, God, and it goes on to say, and God said. Well, in John chapter 1, what does it say? In the beginning was the word. Do you see the connection? It's not just Christian, it is Jewish. So John used a word, logos, that both Greek and Jew could understand. And what was he saying? You have been thinking about this, pondering this, writing about this for as long as I know. And I am telling you, I'm about to introduce you to him. That is what he is saying. And that's what we're going to see in the first chapter. You want to know this power that sets things in order and that sustains them? Well, read on. I'm going to introduce you to him. In the beginning, before the beginning began, there was the Logos. And the word was with God. If something is with, it is what? Distinct from. If you are with me, you are beside me, you are distinct from me. And it goes on then to say the word was with God, but the word what? Was God. Literally the same in nature and in essence. If you've studied your Bible at all, you know this to be true. We see it in, in the Gospels. John 1.18 says, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God. Okay, you need to understand Jesus claimed to be what? God. He claimed it. He spoke it with his own mouth. So Jesus is either telling the truth or what? He's a nutbag. There is no middle ground. You can't say he's a good man, a good teacher, if he's claiming to be something that he is not. And I want you to understand, he claimed, he spoke it. The disciples spoke it that said, Jesus is God. Colossians 2.9 says this, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. So right away we see in the book of John, in the very first verse, we see a lot of theology, do we not? Before the beginning began, so out of eternity, out of timelessness, was the logos, the word of God, reason, order. And this logos was with God in eternity, past. And he what? And he is God. He literally introduces the Trinity in the first verse. Well, guess what? That's grounded in the Torah. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God, that name is Elohim. I taught you this when we did Genesis. Do you remember? You're like, no. Um, well, you should. Uh, in the beginning, God, that is the name Elohim. That is the all-powerful God. And in the first verse of Genesis, that noun is plural. In the beginning, God, in the beginning, Elohim created, that is the Hebrew word I've taught you over and over and over again, bara. Do you remember that? To make something from nothing. A bara can make something from nothing. Do you remember this? Okay, don't, don't make me retell all my jokes, okay? 
bara, to make something from nothing, that verb is singular. Now you're like, what difference does that make? I'm not very good at grammar. Well, I'm from Arkansas. I'm not good at grammar either. But I know it would be like saying the dogs is barking. Okay, I'm from Arkansas. I even know that's not right. You don't say the dogs is barking. Right there at the beginning in Genesis 1-1, is it grammatically incorrect? No. This peculiarity has a meaning. Why? Elohim, three persons, one essence, one God, acting as what? Singular one. So Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 introduces the Trinity. John 1 verse 1 introduces the Trinity. We see it active in creation. In Genesis 1-1, we saw the name Elohim. We just talked about that. But in Genesis 2-2, and do you know the difference between Genesis 1 and Genesis 2? Genesis 1 is like an overall statement of how things were made. Okay, it's the big picture. Genesis chapter 2, it kind of focuses in. Because now you get to see the details of how things were made. And when you see that, when it gets more personal, all of a sudden you see a new name added to Elohim. And it is the name Yahweh. It says, in the generations of the heaven and earth, the Lord God. It, it, it says in, in chapter 2, it talks about the Lord God creating. Yahweh Elohim. Yahweh is his personal name. That makes sense because if you look at the account, you see personal actions. You see things like he formed us with his hands. That's touch. In this pandemic, have you realized how important touch is? How many elderly people are isolated and alone and they're longing for that touch, that hug? Have you missed hugs? Yeah. He was intimate with his creation. He formed us like a potter forms clay. He touched us. And then what did he do? He breathed into us the very breath of life. That's intimacy. I'm going to tell you, if you get up in my grill, we're intimate. Okay? And so that is intimacy. And then you see a verb of walking together. Relationship. And so in creation, you, you already, in the story, you see the Trinity, the Elohim who willed it, who spoke it. But the word, right, it says he did it. How did he do it? He formed, he breathed, he walked with. And you also see the Spirit. In Genesis 1-2, it says the Spirit of God was hovering over the deep. That word deep literally comes from a word that means disturbance or chaos. Do you feel it? See, when I think about creation, I know I'm a dork, but I sit and think about these things, what it looked like, what it sounded like. When I get to heaven, I'm going to tell you, I want to see the DVD of all these things. <laughs> because what did it look like when God the Father willed it, and the light, the life light showed up, and the Spirit of God was hovering like an engine over the chaos? And it burst forth, and out of chaos came this amazing order. I would have loved to have seen that. The word in the Hebrew for Holy Spirit is ruach. It's R-U-A-H. Ruach. It means both wind and spirit. 
It also brings with it the idea of breath. It begins with the Hebrew letter H, which sounds like it's in Hebrew. It's the Hebrew letter H-E-I. It's like our letter H. And what is so cool about this, it's, um, oh, how do I say this word? It's onomatopoeia, okay? It's an, it's, a, it's an onomatopoeia word. That is the craziest word, isn't it? What does that mean? It literally means that the word imitates the sound it describes, okay? So the sound of R-H is and the sound of it literally sounds like, it imitates the sound that it is describing. It says in Genesis 2, 4, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth that were created. It's really interesting. I told you that word is bara. We see it in Genesis 1, but we also see it here. But according to Rabbi Jason Sobel, he says that in Genesis 2, 4, that in that word created, you find the H put in the middle, and that that was grammatically incorrect. And we know that Jewish mystics believed that the letter H was the divine breath of God that released his power and potential, which alludes to a deeper meaning to this word creation. It's like creating in word and spirit. The spirit of God within the word of God is the creating force. I hope that makes sense. I don't know if all that's true. I'm not an expert on the Hebrew language, but Psalms 33, 6 says this. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. The word of God infused with the spirit of God as the agent of creation. What a beautiful picture. Hey, that makes sense to me because I've also taught you this in Genesis. Remember the story of Abraham and Sarah? Remember, God had promised in Genesis chapter 3 that a redeemer was coming. A redeemer is coming that will destroy Satan. He will be from woman. I will put hatred between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. You will bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. A redeemer is coming. We find out by chapter 12 that that redeemer is coming from the family of Abraham. The problem is, though, Abraham and Sarah have gotten old in their age. They're over 100, and the promise has not seen fruition. And man, have they ever tried to do it on their own. And I think that's the point of Barah with the H in the middle, is that we cannot do it. This is an impossibility. Only God can create. And so what do you see happen? The word of God is spoken to Abraham. Absolutely, the promise is made. But then all of a sudden, when the word is given to him, the name is changed. And what letter is placed in their name? So it is if, literally, because of the word of God, the spirit of God is breathed into Abraham and Sarah, and what was dead, now what? Regenerates into life. Well, of course it does. He's the creator of all things. We also see a little connection in the story of David, which I didn't even bring to your attention when I taught 1 Samuel, why the five stones? Do you know that the Hebrew language is alphanumeric and that the number five is tied to the letter H? 
Who was the hero in that story? I'm going to tell you what. David's faith opened up the spirit of God. This was a spiritual battle, and that is how the giant fell, because it was a battle of the spirit. His, he believed by faith. David was not the hero. God is the hero. Can I tell you he's the hero of every story of the Old Testament? So what do we know so far? I haven't even gotten hardly past the first verse, right? Before the beginning began, there was the Logos. He was with God, and he was God. He was eternal. This Logos was eternal, and he was triune. Verse 3, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Wow. Once again, John is grounded in the Torah. Think about creation. What are the four things necessary for life? Do you know them? What are the four things necessary for life? Because what happened in creation, it says, was life. Light, right? Light, which is the source of food generation for all living organisms. It is what allows us to see. It's what allows us to see color. He created the light sources for us, which, by the way, was not at the beginning. So what was the source? The light of the world, right? Um, he created the light sources, which created the seasons. Light. Light was a part of our creation. What else? Expanse. Air. Atmosphere. He separated the waters below from the waters above and created the expanse. We were created to breathe oxygen. And then what else do we see? He breathed into us the breath of life and we became living creatures. Light, air, water. Water is necessary. Um, for us. He created boundaries. He separated the water from the land. We were going to be land creatures. We had an atmosphere to breathe. And what is the last thing that you need for life? Light, breath, water, and what? Food. And he provided that. He gave all the vegetation. So not only did the word, the word create all the necessities for life, everything we needed, he also, what? Sustains it. He didn't just create it. He sustains it. Calvin said this, Jesus was not only the source to all creatures so that those which were not began to be, but that his life-giving power causes them to remain in that condition. For were it not that his continued inspiration give vigor to the world, Everything that lives would decay and be reduced to nothing. Colossians 1.17 simply says this, and he is before all things, we know that, and in him all things, what? Hold together. Let me tell you, we are to be good stewards of what God has given us, but I'm going to be clear. We do not have the ability to destroy it all. God holds all things together. He not only initiated it, he sustains it. In him was life, it says. 
and the life was the light of men. I pondered that for a long time. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Hoff power version, in him was life, and it could be clearly seen. What was that like? In him was life. It was beautiful. It was designed. It operated perfectly. What did it smell like? What did it taste like? Oh, the colors. All the life, everything that was created pointed back to him. It could be clearly seen, the source, the beauty, the purpose, full clarity. It said that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The message I love in this verse, it says the light life, or the life light, the life light blazed out of the darkness and the darkness could not put it out. The life light blazed out of the darkness and the darkness could not put it out. Can you see that? Can you see the light show up on the scene? Bam, there is light. And out of that light comes absolute life. Think about it. Picture it. What was it like? Everything coming out of that life light and everything was light and it was growing and growing. It was life and life and life. I can just imagine what that was like. Do you realize that when they discovered we had an expanding universe, duh, right? When we were going to school, I don't know if you remember this, but we would watch science videos, and the videos would literally say that the cosmos was eternal, that the cosmos was what was and what has always been. That's how they could get millions and millions and millions and millions of years, because the cosmos was eternal. Well, guess what? Not so. Our universe is moving in an outward direction. It is getting larger. It is expanding. They were even smart enough to be able to come up with the formulas of how fast the universe is expanding. Well, guess what? If you know that, then you're able to reverse your process and figure out that actually what? There was a beginning. So at that point, they at least had to realize something started with a bang, Hello? In the beginning, God (laughs) created the heavens and the earth. Oh, out of the darkness, the life light blazed. But you know what else is interesting? How in the world do we live in a world where we have an expanding universe, but yet within that, we see the law of thermodynamics? Do you know that? The second law of thermodynamics? Basically, it's the law of decay. Let me read it to you. The second law of thermodynamics describes basic principles familiar in everyday life. Yeah, it's familiar to me. I don't know about you. It is, it is partially a universal law of decay. The ultimate cause of why everything ultimately falls apart and disintegrates over time. Are you experiencing that? I'm going to tell you what, I picked up the COVID-8, and uh, your body does not give one rip what your excuse is as why you are not working out. It does not care. 
It just is going to do what it does. It does not get better over time. It gets worse. Do I need to tell you all that? Everything is falling. Everything is aging. Everything hurts if you don't work it out. I mean, nothing that we have is getting better over time. Everything is decaying and getting worse over time. Material things are not eternal. It says, everything appears to change eventually and chaos increases. Nothing stays as fresh as the day one buys it. Clothing becomes faded, threadbare, and ultimately returns to the dust. Everything ages and wears out. Even death is a manifestation of this law. The effects of the second law are all around touching everything in the universe. So how can this be? How is it that everything started with the lifelight blazing out of the darkness, growing beautiful, absolute clarity, but yet now in the middle of an expanding universe, we have this situation to where actually things are not getting better, they are getting worse. Well, I think you see that even in chapter one. You're gonna like, you're weird. I, I really think it's here. Look at verse six. All of a sudden, we have this switch. We have all this description of the word being eternal, the word being triune, the word being with God and being God and that all things were made by him and you have this beautiful thing about how the life light comes out of the darkness and the darkness can't conceal it. And then you have a gap and then verse six. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. The message says he was sent by God to point the way to the lifelight. What in the world? How in the world did we end up going from the lifelight was blazing out of the darkness and it could not put it out to now we have a man showing up in the wilderness and his number one job is to get all of our attention and point us so that we can see it to the light. What happened? Sin happened. In my notes, I actually write my notes like I talk in case you're wondering. I go, what the heck? How did we get from blazing forth and couldn't put it out to someone having to point it out? Sin Sin plunged us into darkness. Somehow the quest for one knowledge darkened another. We bought the lie. Ooh, Satan, the father of lies, he is such a deceiver, right? For us to know good and evil, to be like God. We were already like God. We were made in his image. And he sold us a bill of goods, Right? What difference if you know, I mean, what benefit is it to know the difference between good and evil if you don't have any power to do anything about it? That just creates anxiety. Fear. That's exactly what happened. So because of that, what was once incorruptible became corruptible. Eternal life at that point came to an end for our body. Death was introduced. Adam and Eve were removed from the garden. I remember thinking back in the day, they really got in trouble and they were grounded, man. 
They were kicked out. That was just punishment. Let me tell you what, that is protection. Read it. It says that God removed them from the garden so they could not reach out their hand to eat from the tree of life. Because there were two trees in the center of the garden. One was prohibited, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why? Because if you are created as a free being, there must be choice. He kept it simple. The center of the issue and the center of the garden is do you believe I love you and do you trust me? And if so, reach out to the tree of life. When they did not, God sovereignly came in and removed them from the ability to reach their hand out and eat from the tree of life because in his love, he had already designed a plan. Jesus was the lamb slain before the foundation of the earth to purchase us back. And so he removed them from the garden so they would not be perpetually in this state. Sin plunged us into a spiritual death or darkness. Instead of naturally being able to understand life and all creation through spiritual eyes. Because remember, the life light, it explained everything. We saw clearly, but now we would not. You see, then we had spiritual eyes to see all things. But now, not so. Now, we would have to look at the physical and try to discern the spiritual. There is a gap. There was a separation. There was a distance. But even then, Romans 1, 19 through 20 says, even now, man has no excuse. Because God has always desired to make himself known. Even after sin, it says that God has made himself plain. Listen to this. Romans 1, verse 19 and 20. For what can be known about God is plain to them. He is not trying to hide. Okay? I used to think the will of God was like an Easter egg hunt. Oh, I got to find God's will for my life. I got to find it because he's hiding it. So I need, oh, Lord, show it to me. Show it to me. And I would search. What's God's will? What do you want me to be? I hear young people doing that today. I said, can I just like let you off the hook? Do you want to know what God's will for your life is? Love him and have a relationship with him today. Be in the vine. That's what he wants. Because if you are, the choices you make that day, guess what? They're going to be out of that. And that means that every day he will light up the step you need. To take that day. That's why his word is a light unto my uh, to feet. My word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Today, that is it. And so God has made himself plain. Because God has shown it to them, this verse says. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived Ever since the creation of the world, in the things that have been made, so that we have no excuse. The Greeks knew that. They knew that when they looked at this world, it looked what? Designed. It had reason to it. It had order. And we know that over time, what? 
Chaos gets worse. But yet there's this beautiful order and sustainability to this world. And what God is saying is although, yes, sin has separated us from God and we don't have the spiritual eyes that we had, I've still made myself plain. Even now, even now, you can look at what I have made and you can know I'm there. There is no excuse. Uh, I remember my kids used to always ask me questions about this, about what about this tribe or this people, or they, weren't, they didn't receive the gospel. And I, I would take them to this verse. He has made himself plain. And I would also take them to the verse that God would judge us based on the faith that he has given us. I will leave that in God's hands. God has made himself plain. He has a heart for everyone to know him. And I trust him in that. The problem is we refuse to see. So one dark night, it all began again. A light, a star, the life light, the glory of God, burst out of the darkness. And it came and it sat over a manger where the word of God would be born. And then a man in the wilderness who, verse 8 says, was not the lifelight, but came to bear witness or point the way to the lifelight. It says the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. The true light was coming into the world. And what was his heart? What was his motive? It's in that verse. In verse 9, what was his motive? To give light to everyone. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. John was saying, listen, he was here. And although he was the creator of life, although he was the lifelight, he was the beginning of all things, the world did not know him. They refused to see him. Even his own people the ones that he had been with all along. He had given his word through the patriarchs. He had given his word through the prophets. He had given them types and shadows through the tabernacle, through the feasts, through the offerings. He had given them, and they still didn't see it. Do you remember all the things necessary for life? Remember what they were? What were they? Light. Air, water, food, and, and all of that came from where? In him was life, it says. All of those things are found in him. Think about the tabernacle, this type, this shadow. You walk in, you have to face the altar right away. Jesus, all life. You go forward, what's the next thing? Water. The washing of the water. You go into the tabernacle on the right side. You have the table of showbread. What is that? Food, bread, communion. I am the bread of life, right? Here, I am the living water. I am the bread of life. You go over here and what? The golden lampstand. Light. You come before the veil and what is it? 
The incense, another verb for ruha, is not just wind and space, aroma. And you have it. You have all of this symbolism of that I am life. I am life. I am the connector. I taught you the tabernacle. Do you remember? It's in the shape of the cross. Jesus was the connector between God and man. The symbolism was all in there, right? I am the Lamb of God. I am the living water. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. All of it was there. Do you remember the Exodus? Where's the light? You have the pillar of fire. You have the water from the rock. You have manna. He was constantly using all along with his people to make them understand physical earthly things so that they could understand spiritual things. The problem is they had a tendency to do what? Start to worship the image. The image was only as good as what it represented. And they missed it. They could not see. So what did he do? He came. It says this. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Key words there, received to actively take hold, believed, to be persuaded. Listen, God gave us a noggin. Use it. Okay, don't be a bunch of ding-dong Christians who you, as somebody asks you a question as to why you believe something, and you go, I don't know, I just love Jesus. I just have faith. Really? Come on, we are to love him with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Part of the problem with our young generation is we haven't had enough conversations and education so that they know what they believe and why. So when we send them out to the world, the world gets the microphone and they think, uh, wait a minute. I don't know if just, oh, I love Jesus and I have faith can overcome the questions that I have. Don't be afraid of questions. If your kid asks you a question, say, I don't know, and then start studying it together. Don't be afraid. All life is in him. You will find it. And I promise you, at the end of the day, it will take more faith to be an atheist than it will take to be a Christ follower. I promise you. Receive, believe in his name, and you will be born again. Born again. It says, not of blood, not of flesh, not of a man's will. This is a new spiritual birth. So although some of them did not receive, there were those who grabbed a hold because they were persuaded. What were they persuaded about? His name, who he was, and they were given new eyes to see. They became alive again. We saw the name in Genesis 2-4, Yahweh Elohim, this personal name who was intimate with his creation, formed and breathed and walked. That name is built on the words, I am. You remember that, right? Moses in the wilderness, when God called him and he said, who in the world am I going to tell them sent me? And he said, you tell them I am that I am, right? When I was young, I thought that was ridiculous. I've told y'all this before. I was like, I am that I am. What is that? Sam, I am green eggs and ham. I mean, I am that I am. 
And then as you get older, you realize what he is saying. I am everything you need. Why? All life, all creative force came from where? Me. I need absolutely what? Nothing. I am your power source. I am all you need. So if we believe in his name, I am, we will have new life. Not physical, but spiritual. His life, his eternal life. Verse 14, it's about to get real. And the word became flesh. So, so far, we are guessing as to who this word is. Now, we've cheated because we know the Bible. But according to the chapter, the word existed in eternity, uncreated, was with God in eternity, was God, and through him, all things were made. He has made himself plain even after sin because he has done this whole job of pointing to the lifelight. And now this lifelight is about to show up on the scene and we're gonna find out who he is. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. That means literally God's substance, his essence. Glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this is he whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. What was John saying? He's uncreated. He existed before the beginning began. Even John the Baptist proclaimed it. For his grace, for his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through who? Jesus Christ. Wow. There's the name. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, who has made him known. Wait a minute. Are you telling me that this logos, this word, this reason and order and plan, this connection between God and man, this creator, this eternal being, this triune God is Jesus? Yeah. That is the purpose of John's whole gospel. Jesus is God, and he says it from chapter 1. John 20, 31, you need to memorize this this year, by the way, is the purpose. But these are written that you may know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Jesus is God. Life begins and ends and is sustained in him. So no wonder he made the seven I am statements. You need to believe in my name. Who am I? I am that I am. I am the living water. I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am the gate I am the good shepherd. I am the true vine, and I am the resurrection and the life. I'm God. By the way, our salvation depends on that, and we're going to talk about that even more. And it says that in him, out of his fullness, we have been given grace upon grace. Literally, 
Christians received grace and then more grace and then grace served on top of grace and then after that, guess what we get? Grace. Why? I'm gonna tell you why. Because when you experience hunger and want, you wanna know where is the bread of life. When you experience the darkness of depression, you wonder, where is this light of the world? And when you experience abuse, you wonder, where is this good shepherd? And when you experience death, you wonder, where is the resurrection and the life? I remember um, after Zach's service that day, it was powerful. And I went to say bye to some of the Stanford players. And I, I had gone to uh, Old Town to see them and be where they were. And the place we went to, and listen, I'm not, I know y'all think I'm precious and spiritual. I'm not perfect. I've been in some places, okay? I'm not naive. I mean, come on. Y'all know I go karaoke and sing Redneck Woman, so I can't be that precious. But I went to these areas, and I'm going to tell you, I had never seen such a thing in Old Town. And I remember sitting there and watching these crowds of young people in a situation that I had never seen. And I stayed about 30 minutes, and I tried to stay kind of upbeat. I'm saying goodbye to them, and I am looking out at the insecurity and brokenness and darkness of our world in my face. And I leave, and I remember there was a young girl, and she was all by herself behind a building, and she was sick, and she was throwing up. And I went to her, and I said, baby doll, are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine, and Uber's coming. And I, I'm, all of this is just coming into my system. And, and I watched as the Uber came and got her, and I went home. And I don't know whatever possessed me, but I needed something to occupy my mind. And I started watching a documentary on Netflix. I wouldn't recommend it when you're in grief. Uh, and it was all about Jeffrey Epstein. You know, so I'm watching it, and I'm watching it, and I'm watching it, I'm watching it. And I have no idea kind of what is going on inside of me until all of a sudden... I lose my stinking mind. And I don't know if I had just gotten to the end, but I'm going to tell you what. My friend was there, and I proceeded to get dark. And I got angry, and I started screaming in my house, in my patio, in my house, in my patio. And I was like, God, you, where are you? Is this what my son had to face every day? This is it? Where are you? Where were you in that? Where were you with those young girls that were raped for 20 years? Where were you in the Holocaust? Where were you here? Where are you? Do you not care? How in the world could you take my son? I was so mad. I said, I have given to you. I have done everything for you. You have taken so much for me already. And I said, I have taught every young person in this freaking valley. I've done it. How dare you take mine? How dare you? 
You are so mean. You are cruel. And I began to yell. My friend starts texting my friends, and he's like, this stuff's getting dark. I need reinforcements. And they came in, and I just sat there, and I go, he is cruel. And in January, I remember praying that God, I, I was, before I went to bed one night, I was praying that God would just show me some direction in January. And I'm not usually one of those real spiritual people who, at the beginning of the year, God gives me a verse. This is the verse that God gave me. Or these are the words that God gave me. My word for the year is encouragement. I don't get that stuff. I don't know why, but I don't. Well, in January, that night, laying in my bed, I was doing just reading a Bible study, and literally, God did that. He highlighted three words off the page to me. Wait, watch, and pray. And if I'm being honest, I thought it was about my romantic life. I was like, okay, God, I'm going to trust you. You know what I need. You know what I want. So I'm going to wait, and I'm going to watch, and I'm going to pray. So when this happened with Zachary, I was so mad. So in that fit, I was yelling, why in the world would you choose this year to give me the message, wait, watch, and pray, when you knew my son was going to die May 14th? Why? You are so mean. And after I had that fit that night, I was so exhausted. The next morning, I walked out on my patio, and I was just praying. And all of a sudden, it hit me. And I realized, oh, my gosh. Huh. Who did you give those words to in Scripture? Peter. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he said to Peter, Peter. You need to wait, and you need to watch, and you need to pray. Because what is coming is going to shake you to your core. What is coming is going to make you question everything you thought you believed. So you better wait, watch, and pray. And I realized that God was saying, oh, Shannon, baby, romance wasn't even on the ticket I needed you to lean in to me, just me, because something was coming that was going to shake you to your core. <laughs> that was going to make you question every single thing you believe. Because I am telling you that when you experience that, you start to really question what it is you believe about God. To such a place, if I'm being honest with you, I looked at Mark Moore that day and I said, is heaven real or is it bull? I have been teaching about it my whole life. Have I been teaching something because I was taught it? Is it real? Because I didn't know, because I had so much invested there. And he said, it's real. And you will question. And listen, I don't know about this rabbi that says that the H is in the middle of Barah, the Spirit of God in the middle of the Word of God. But I know this. <clears throat> the Spirit of God is in the middle of me. 
Let me tell you how I know it. Because when I went to my son's service, there was nothing about me that wanted to worship God. Nothing. And when I sat there in that service, and they sang, raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemy. It was like the Spirit of God came from my toes, out my hands, because I was trapped in a place like Peter when God said, Peter, do you want to leave me too? And he said, where would I go? You have the words of life. So at the end of the day, if you're in the struggle, and I said this to Zach so many times, if you're in a struggle, it's okay. Stay in the struggle. But don't walk away. Because he holds the words of life. It's okay to be mad at the one your hope is in. He is the life. He is the beginning of the end. He is the sustainer. And I think there's no greater way to end this lesson than with my son's favorite song that really proclaims this. So we can listen and then I will pray us out. Isn't that the truth? At the end of the day, the lifelight, oh, it's shining. The lifelight came out of the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. And that lifelight, even when they tried, put on flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. He is the light of the world. And when we give our life to him, we become that light. And it is like one light shining the next light, shining the next light because the darkness will not overcome. All life is in him. It is sustained by him and it will end in him in eternal life. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that we have hope. I don't know what we would do without it. Thank you, Lord, that I can trust my son to you. Thank you, Lord, that you let us get mad. Thank you that you let us question. Thank you, Lord, that when we believe and we receive and take hold of you, you take hold of us. And even when our grip slips, yours never does. You are the beginning and you are the end. All life started in you. And we will have an eternal life with you together. So let us, Lord, be that great life light. Let us be like John, the one who bears witness to this life-changing light. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Mary Shannon Bible Study. Be sure to subscribe. Shannon also hosts the hilarious and heartfelt Mary Shannon's Table podcast, where along with friends, they chat about life, faith, and leadership. Check out the show now and subscribe. If you want to connect with Mary Shannon, go to Instagram at It's Mary Shannon or visit itsmaryshannon.com.